What's going on, guys? Welcome to another episode of Renegade Capes on the Renegade Pop Culture Podcast Network. My name is Mike. I'll be your host this evening. Joining me to my left is Organoid Zero himself, Brock. Hello, everyone. Down below, we've got Matt. Hello. I don't, I do uh, StreamYard wrong, so I don't pimp out my Twitter. Sorry. And uh, next to him, we've got Manning. Hello. It's a pleasure to be back here again on a Marvel movie that I, spoiler alert, actually did like. Oh, okay. All right. Is oh, you're starting okay. off with that. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So, this Ooh. is our spoiler discussion for Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3, which is, I don't need to explain that this is the third film in the Guardians trilogy. Wait. <laughs> ah, see, you have to say you in the Guardians to trilogy because <laughs> there's the holiday special. Mm, so, then three. Yeah, which Manning ain't seen. Before this movie, I I didn't. I saw it after the third movie, which I it, it cleared which, up a really big story point for him. Between it really two did, but it went. But that actual first point went over my head the first time I was watching it, and I was like, "Oh, they must have established that in the second one." And I just completely forgot about it. <laughs> Looking back and watching the Christmas special, I was wrong. Manning somehow thought he could watch Marvel things out of sequence. That'd be fine. Poor boy. How how well, he did just watch all of Phase Four, so he was actually pretty safe. Yeah, yeah, no, that that's a good point. Just saying. <laughs> so speaking of the holiday special, let's let's um since this is all spoilers, let's let's address that uh that little plot point, shall we? That Peter Quill and Mantis are technically brother and sister. That Kurt Russell's a man. I mean, <laughs> I mean, I mean that ego is a man horror. <laughs> Yeah, I was going a to planet or I should say here, sir. He's been pure to Goldie Hawn. That's true. <laughs> Don't you dare start this. Yeah, no, if, that if, was. Um, if anyone believed my credibility on that statement, there, that's their issue and not me. It, was one of those, <laughs> it, it is one of those points that I remember watching the holiday special, which I'll just get my. It was cute. Like it, it was like I think what was it, forty minutes? Yeah, yeah, like four, it was under four, an yeah. hour. It's pretty quick. Kevin Bacon was super fun, and and I love that he's at this point in his career to where he's just like, eh, sure, whatever. I'll be in your commercials about bacon burgers and stuff like that. Like, hey, I like that he's going to this point where he's like, eh, whatever. It's his best um, movie so far. But that point, it was just like, it makes sense while also just being like, it, it's the first time in this series that it felt like that wasn't planned from the original. It was just Game Scum was like, oh, I have a bit of an opportunity for something. Like, I don't think when he wrote Guardians 2, he was thinking that. Because I feel like that would have come up in Guardians 2, considering the entire thing of that movie is, like, family and, like, connection and all that. So why would that, that not? That and again, was, I'm not saying it's was... a bad thing. Anakin and Vader were two separate characters when George Lucas wrote A New Hope. So you can That's adjust true. and change uh, things. It doesn't... I'm just saying it was... For a series that has always felt very like kind of planned out, that's you know, that's but it's fine. Thing, it makes sense. We know Ego was planting his seed, mm-hmm. pun intended. If you watch, because the yeah. seeds on the planets, yeah, yeah. It, you're not wrong. Much. The best jokes are the ones you have to explain. Um, so it makes sense, but you know, that's the it, thing. Though. It came up in this movie, but it wasn't really like a major like like. Manny watched the movie without seeing Holiday Special, and it wasn't like he missed a huge character point for Peter Quill or Mantis. Yeah. Um, what I'll quickly add by that by saying I really do like again, I, I really did like the holiday special. It was kind of very fun. 
I don't want to call it uh, frivolous entertainment, but it, it it was just a nice little moment that was very akin to, you know, some like specials you would have back in the day. It has no bearing really to the plot other than that one little plot point, which again, doesn't really inform their characters going forward in volume three really at all outside of a couple of throwaway lines and maybe some added context to maybe interactions in the future for the third film. But other than that, I, I think it was, it was a good holiday special. Um, but that plot point in particular, I don't think really made, made it a make or break moment for volume three, which I think is good because one of the problems I have with the Marvel cinematic universe right now is the fact that you have to watch really everything you're going to miss. We don't, you don't have to watch everything, but if you don't watch everything, you're, you, you run the chance of missing something, but I think, and we'll get to this a bit later. Volume three succeeds because Gunn does his best to try to make it as accessible as possible outside of the larger Marvel Cinematic Universe. But I think this plot point is more of a fun little tidbit than it is actually something that's imperative to their characters. Yeah, no, I actually, I actually do agree with that. And building off what you said before about, <clears throat> you know, how James Gunn sort of plays with, you know, the rest of the Marvel Cinematic Universe, something that I really like about volume three is how he he builds off of a lot of um avengers endgame particularly how gamora is used in the film but before i get before we get too far into this i just want to bring everyone back to um their ov overall thoughts on the franchise in general because even before this um i went and rewatched the first two guardians movies and Obviously, I had a great time revisiting those, but Brock, I want to start with you. Your overall thoughts on the Guardians franchise? Well, considering during our review, I told you that it's my favorite trilogy that Marvel's made. I would say that says quite a bit. Um, it was it was in a weird way, a trilogy that through a lot of circumstances bordering on seemed like it was made to hit every single emotional chord that I have, considering outside of being abducted into space... I have a lot in common with how Peter kind of makes his own family. Like the first movie, stuff with his mom. Like I, my mom didn't die. My mom is still well alive. But I'll tell you right now that I would be inconsolable if something did happen to her because she's literally my hero. And my dad was completely out of the picture. So just that whole thing was good with it a lot. And then again, dad not being there. Second movie hits. And I have a person who, after years of like not having a father figure in my life, my youth pastor who became my surrogate dad, I then know for however long, been close to them, literally calling in my dad, Guardians 2 hits. And I leave the theater a literal dying, sobbing mess and call him immediately. <laughs> Tell him that I love him. And then this hits and you get even more with like the main family and stuff like that. And it's all really, it's well done. And it's a weird thing that like it's it's a little bit kind of just accepted that for the most part there's going to be some things in Marvel movies that just happen because they're Marvel movies. James's trilogy felt the more they went along but still especially in the first one felt the most like it was still mostly his movie and he just did the stuff he was told to and got away from it immediately. <laughs> Like, he openly admitted in an interview that he made up the bullshit for all of the freaking Infinity Stones on the spot after he was told he had to do it. That wasn't some pre-made thing. He got told about the scene and went, sure. <laughs> and, um, yeah, it's he... And it's what I told you about Superman 
J- James is very, very good at evoking emotions out of people. Mm-hmm. He's very good at learning what he needs to do, going into it, and getting the best version of it he can emotionally. He's not just a goofy, wacky, whatever. It's just those are the movies he got hired to do. <laughs> and he, it's just, yeah, all the characters were well thought out. They all had their own little beats. Nobody was perfect. And yeah, it was their perfect little group up movie that I knew legit. I had never heard of that Marvel term before they came out. And I'm no super geek. I know just plain simple, but I loved being introduced to something and it being my favorite trilogy of all of them. Cap's still my favorite character they've done, but yeah, it was, they're, they're really good. And like that, like the stuff going throughout it, everything, at least to me felt natural in them. All the story beats and stuff like, what I was going to say earlier about, like, Mantis, I don't, I don't think it had been unbelievably pointless to do it in two because she was meant to be a side throwaway character that we didn't know anything about, and it was based mostly on Ego and Peter. And if all of a sudden, like, Peter, oh, by the way, I'm your sister, too. Care about that while you're trying to save the guy that put the cancer tumor in your mom. I'll be back. Sorry. And then, yeah, but I thought they flowed well. Outside of a couple issues in three, not big ones. I really like them all. I have no complaints, honestly. Um, Matt, what about you? Your overall thoughts on the Guardians trilogy? Yeah, uh, Guardians 1, I remember when it came out, and it was one of those Marvel movies that I missed in theaters just because you're a high school kid and you can't drive yourself, and so you sometimes just miss movies if you're busy with high school stuff and your parents won't drive you to a theater. Uh, and of course, just me being who I am, uh, you know, with a love of, you know, Star Wars, Star Trek, all this stuff. A lot of people were building this movie up to me as like, oh my God, Matt, this, this movie was like made for you. And a lot of people don't realize that when you tell people that they go into movies with expectations. And so I went to this movie with expectations and I went, it's okay. I, it's fine. And it was like that for a couple of years, for, for a little bit. And then I, I remember I revisited it uh, on its own. Uh, and I ended up really liking it. And and for a while, it was my favorite Marvel movie. Guardians 2, I remember coming out. And at first, I thought it was it was a really good follow-up. I, I thought it was a really solid follow-up. Uh, Kurt Russell's ego, I, I still think, is, is one of my favorite Marvel villains. Um, and not just because it's Kurt Russell. Uh, there's reasons behind it. Um, but I thought it was a really good movie. And then I remember I got on Blu-ray and I watched it. And for the longest time, it was my favorite Marvel movie. And it still is in my top three. I really love that movie. I think what that movie has to say about like found family and the people we let, let into our lives and, and the impressions that they make on us, whether they are actually your family or they're not your family um it's really poignant and and i think also just for the par- character of peter quill this this whole thing that he's convinced himself of that there's this missing piece to him because he loses his mom so he's like well my dad's out there somewhere you know because there was always that thing of like oh the david hasselhoff picture you know like i told everyone my dad was david hasselhoff like there's this thing that peter's like well when i find my dad i'll be complete 
and not even the Yandu thing, just in general, like, and, you know, the relation with Gamora and, and just all that, like, this realization of, like, oh, wait a second, I didn't need this guy in my life to be complete. And it also just kind of works out that that guy is <laughs> kind of a psycho. Um, and it's funny because it, it, that whole realization reminds me of another Chris Pratt movie, which is Onward, to where the character yeah. also thinks that he needs his dad to to be complete and he doesn't. Um, so that movie, I, I still feel really, really strongly about. I still think it's it's fantastic. Um, I have to be honest. Uh, I've only seen Guardians 3 once. I think it is really, really good. But it is hard to... It's hard for me to say, oh, this is easily the, the best Marvel trilogy, nay, one of the best trilogies of all time, because I have seen Guardians 1 and 2 many, many times. I've only seen this one once. And, and if we're comparing this to say the, the Iron Man trilogy, the Cap trilogy, or one of the other, you know, the Ant-Man trilogy to where I've seen, well, I guess Ant-Man and the Wasp Quantumium is, is in a similar vein to this, to where it's, just, it's too early for me to say, oh yeah, definitively. If you do more power to you, I'm just an asshole. Who has to, <laughs> and that's just my own thing. Um, but I still think this is a really great movie and we'll get into it. And, and I think for what is, unless something happens with DC is probably James Gunn's swan song with these characters. He, he really uh, did a, a good job. And so overall, my feelings are that the Guardians trilogy are all pretty fantastic. They're, and, and they're all on the same level. I, I, I think I, I think of them kind of like the prequels, which for me, I'm a prequelist to where I'm just like, yeah, I have my favorite in that trilogy, but they're all on the same level and the level is very very high it's very good so yeah uh and matt aside from the holiday special your thoughts or manning aside from the holiday special um Uh, who (laughs) (laughs) matt Matt again are you ready yeah (laughs) anyway manning uh guardians trilogy thoughts Yes, I that is a trilogy. Uh, I just want everyone to take into consideration. I wanted to confirm this, so I looked it up. Did you know that we have actually gotten a whole Spider-Man trilogy in between Volume Two and Volume Three? Just Holy let that sink shit. in. Wow. Mm-hmm. Yeah, just let that sink in. And I think that kind of, I know. Speak to, <laughs> now. <laughs> that shit. is wild to think about. And. <laughs> And obviously there were some various factors in there that kind of shuffled the stories around, but on the apps on the side of um, actually talking about the quality of the movie and my thoughts on them, I think the guardians trilogy probably is, if not the most, one of the most consistent film trilogies within the Marvel cinematic universe Uh, only because of course, when you have the director there for all three slash writer, because he is basically the writer and director for all of them, I think, save for the first one where we had uh, he had a co-writer whose name that I'm forgetting right now. I forgot her name. Um, I'll, but, I'll look it up. Keep talking. Yes. But through that, his vision is basically weaved. And even if he didn't obviously care for some of the stuff that was done in Avengers, he's made his he's made his peace with that. He has yeah. made it known that he hasn't been a fan of how. You know, Gamora in particular was used into the Avengers story, but he made the best of it and he gave us a movie that I really, really enjoyed. 
overall, I think I can't, I mean, basically what Brock and Matt were already saying as well, too, is the fact that it's a story about found family. Mm -hmm. And more so than any other series, I think, in the Marvel Cinematic Universe, any trilogy, any film, this is a movie that really feels like these... Well, what started off as five is now more. It's mm -hmm. a family that keeps growing and growing and more so than any other of the films in this cinematic universe. These feel like an actual family. The Avengers don't really feel like a family. Um, like no one else feels like family. Even people who may be the closest thing you can have, obviously, is people who are supposed to be biologically. But they feel almost more like a family, the Guardians, than any other characters in the Marvel Universe. Mm -hmm. And I think that's a testament to what Gunn was able to do as a creator really of this iteration of the guardians taking what he, his sensibilities were as a writer and a director and making these characters just so darn endearing and i loved having every single i loved even if it wasn't they weren't perfect films they weren't perfect characters perfect in the sense of like some subplots always you're like oh i'd love to have more of this one or maybe that didn't work for me but you understood where they were coming from as characters and gun did such a phenomenal job in and for his characterization work and i think at the heart of the guardians of the galaxy that's what counts the story is there true but you care about what happens to them and the journeys that they go on just look at rocket in particular mm -hmm. rocket goes from the very first one he's like i'm a bounty hunter i'm literally going to try to you know uh, tolerate you guys at the very least in the second one he goes on a journey of like i like you guys a bit but i still get annoyed with you and i'm willing to put my selfish needs of stealing some of these batteries over you know it's in my nature i can i do it because i can in the final of this one full spoiler he's here and he will like he loves his family he will do anything for his family when he's here leading the guardians this is some fantastic character growth that I think Gunn should be applauded for and not saying that anyone else can do that, but he was able to see his vision through to the end, even if it had gotten a little jumbled along the way, thanks to some, you know, that's the, the blessing and the curse of being in the cinematic universe. Someone else will have their hand in the pie. Mm -hmm. uh, but the pie that he did build for these three was delicious. And I was a fan of it through all of it. And it might be my favorite trilogy yeah, I think it is the most consistent, and it's my favorite trilogy in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. I can't say it's the best trilogy of all time or anything like that, but it's my favorite within the Cinematic Universe. I would have to agree with that. So I mentioned earlier that I went back and rewatched each of the previous films. Um, the first one was written and directed by James Gunn and Nicole Perlman, a name that you, you don't really you don't really hear much about um, anymore, but yeah, she she was kind of crucial to, you know, laying the groundwork for these characters, establishing like establishing their personalities and all and all of that. And I, I guess in hindsight, my hot take on the first Guardians is it it looks the weakest compared compared to what would come later, but it they still they still have like the fun like the fundamentals down pat. Like, these are characters that, you know, are definitely a quirky bunch, but, like, by the, by the end, you're, you're genuinely rooting for this ragtag team of misfits. Um, volume 2, for the, for the longest time, was my favorite, particularly because, like, the, like the, last, the last half of that movie is just a complete emotional roller coaster. Mike, quick question. Uh, favorite Marvel Cinematic Universe or favorite of the Guardians? Both. Oh, okay. At the time, it was it was it was, like, it was 
it was at least like top five, like top five of the MCU at at the time because I I really liked Ego as as a villain. I liked um, the subplot with Yandu and Rocket, and um, even even just the soundtrack. I thought I thought was better in some ways than the first awesome awesome mix. Like anytime I listen now to Cat Stevens' Father and Son, I only really associate it with the uh, the Ravager funeral. No, and I'd agree with you on that. When it came out, it was my favorite at the time too. I, not give or take, I had emotional meaning behind that, but it was it was a kind of nuts that they got Kurt Russell and B that he just got to go ham. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's just oh. And as for Volume Three. I've now seen the movie twice, both times in Dolby, mm. which I'm totally not a paid. <laughs> I'm totally not, not paid to promote. I was gonna say, Mike's just should like, be yeah, at this point. Pe- I didn't right? watch it like you peasants over there in standard or real D. Uh, no, but anyway, got 45 on that last word, but <laughs> but anyway, yeah, Volume Three is it's a lot. You can you can tell that you can tell that this is. James Gunn's swan song in pretty much every sense of the word. This is the last time that he's working with like with this with this universe, with these characters and telling this particular story and it's one of the few Marvel movies even even outside of like the MCU. It's the last time I've seen a movie with this much um finality was Logan. Only this time None of the character, none of the characters die. Like they all just kind of go their own separate ways. But yeah, I I thoroughly enjoyed this this whole trilogy. I I will be so bold to say that at least over the past like twenty years, or yeah, over the past like twenty years, I would say the the Guardians trilogy stands up with like the Lord of the Rings, the Dark Knight trilogy, um, Edgar Wright's the Cornetto trilogy. I I I would sincerely put it put it up against, you know, those heavy hitters. Greatest trilogy of all time. Now that's that's a harder that's a harder question. You're right. It's hard to compete with Rush Hour, but some people do try. That's coming from a guy that likes them. Genuinely likes them. It's hard to compete with Boss Baby. Even though it's not a trilogy yet. I was about to say it's no. But when it does, by God, it's gonna be up there. Oh boy. Um so we'll start we'll start with we'll start with the the flashback since Rocket's story has the most like emotional heft out of out of oh, anyone's yeah. this time. You don't say. I like how Manning had to turn his mic off just to get that. Oh yeah. <laughs> oh yes, yes. <laughs> so quick I'm gonna, I'm going to ask I'm going to ask the easy and and tough question. Out of, out of all of Rocket's friends, who's your favorite? It's Teef. Teefs? He's so pure. He could be a Sesame Street character. But Floor, too. Floor is probably more pure. But, like, there's just something about, I'm Teef. Because, Mike, even though we all got Teef, mine are bigger than all of yours. Like, he's just so... I just wanted to give him a hug. I just wanted to build a bear to make a bear of him so I could pay $40 for it. <laughs> What an interesting build of air experience that would be. Well, they do everything now. They got 
Grogu's and ETs and everything. I'm just saying. I, give I, me there's, a there's a part. There's a part of this I think you're missing in the interesting that Manny brought up. <laughs> oh, it's the, uh... I didn't even think about that. I do apologize. <laughs> I do apologize. <laughs> Yeah, I I, I wasn't gonna say anything. I was just gonna let I was just gonna let the conversation go. But I took a sweet no. thing from my childhood, and now unfortunately because of James Gunn, he is yeah, to some other thing. Thanks a lot, James. Thanks. Can we? Well, uh, what I'll say by that, don't worry. I thought I I realized like Matt uh, when you were saying that part of me was like, oh god, Matt just not realize what he just did. Um, but you no. fill them with hearts and love. I know, right? Exactly. Um, but okay, here's my thing. Like that entire aspect, I have seen some controversy, and I know some people who um would find some of the scenes to be disturbing, which they are at the very least. I mean, at, at their heart, they are. It, cruelty against animals in film real life what have you is going to be disturbing and is sick and is wrong regardless but that's let that the out there point and is like the bad guy's and that bad and he's doing something bad and that was my point i was going to yeah. add like, it can be and if it, it's too much for someone i respect that completely and i do not want to put that upon them and as long as people are aware of that that's all that matters however i feel like what we saw while was it was it overtly cruel Yes, and I think that was the point that James Gunn was trying to show um, because it made you even more... A character as hardened in comparison to literally everyone that we have seen. Rocket is a is is hardened to his core. And I think he did a really good job of kind of peeling back the layers because we've gotten literally him... In the first one, he literally says he'd been peeled apart piece by piece. Um, and we kind of get that. We don't really get it, get it, but we see kind of the aftermath of what that is. And I think... Lord, I mean, we see glimpses of it, obviously, but mm -hmm. we don't get the full experience. And I think that would have been a little too much because it's PG-13 after all. But yeah. we get just enough to where I feel like Rocket's story is the best by far because, yes, he has the most. But it's just so cathartic to be able to see his character progression go from who he was in the first one to where he is now and seeing where he came from. Plus, honestly, seeing all the, the different, you know, it kind of it, it, Yes, it's an easy what's the word it's an easy pull on the heartstrings because most people i'd like to hope and pray that animals in any sort of pain would hurt you it, um it's a let's just be honest here guys we're all movie fans i commend all all filmmakers and writers support the writer strike right now but let's yes. be honest here in movies it is so easy all you gotta do is introduce a cute looking animal and kill them mm -hmm. and you get yep. hearts going Aww. is like, it it's, easy it, that's all you need yeah it's but I understand why they did it for this. So I, overall, I think they did a really good job with Rocket's story. Yes, I can see of why it would be upset some people, and I think and I completely understand that, and I will not disparage anyone who doesn't want to. I, and I just want to watch that. Jump off of what Manny is saying and, and what I did say is like, yes, it's it's bad, and and yeah, they could have gotten a lot more if it wasn't PG thirteen. But the whole point, which is, I don't think they needed to. Yeah, no, honestly. they. It, it's unnecessary. It's one yes. of those things where if you show too much, you, you lose something. And I'm actually going to, for Manning's sake, I'm going to compare this to a, a classic film, which is One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest, which is Nurse Ratchet. Good movie. The, the thing she does to those patients is horrible and it's bad, but she's the villain. So it's like, yes, that's the whole intent. The, James Gunn is not saying, hey, Cruelty in animals is awesome. You should all go and do it. No, it's it's bad. Our bad guy in the movie is the one doing it. 
it is bad. We're we're showing you it's bad. We're we're telling you it is bad. Peter Quill and and Nebula are not doing this. The the bad guys, and I just think there's this problem because I've been seeing it online too. The the discourse around this movie about this is missing that very vital point to where it's yes, it's bad, but the bad person in the movie is the the one doing it. So the filmmakers are well aware of that. James Gunn's hope with this movie is not that any kids who go and see this go, Mommy, when I grow up, I want to perform uh, science experiments on animals to create a better society for myself. No, he wants kids to go, that was really mean what he did to Teeth and Floor. I don't ever want to do that. That's the point. And I just think, I think it's part of the thing that media literacy is kind of dead and everybody just kind of takes things at face value now, unfortunately, even though it's kind of clearly evident that it's wrong and you shouldn't do animal cruelty. A great example of a broken clock being right twice a day. I don't oh, like, okay. I don't like PETA, but you know, they actually had like, they actually had like kind things to say about, about this movie. So, you know, say, say, say what you will about the other things that PETA does. At least they rec, they recognize that this is like a good this is like good representation of of like how animal cruelty is, you know, bad Let, and stuff. Let's just be honest. I think, which I think the Guardians Volume Three Special Edition could fix this. There, there were just two things we added to these scenes. Everyone would have been fine. And they're Alyssa Milano and in the arms of the angels. Why? They all would have understood. Why? They all would have gotten it. Was... it. Our, it was already too much. We can't add all that to. Um, I didn't Ro- see Peta. Peta made a statement about this movie. They did. They did. Really? Hmm. They say it was the. the what I believe. Correct me if I'm wrong, Mike. They said it was the most important, uh, or best. I can't remember which adjective they used. Um, uh, uh, film about animals or against a uh, movie against animal cruelty of the year or something Some, like that. Something. Something. Something like that, right? But that's an that's an award that has to be given. I was gonna say, <laughs> what came in last place? Now I'm wondering, <laughs> what's the Razzies of Peanuts Awards? Oh jeez, I don't even I don't even want to know. The Make Two? We don't know. And anyway, Brock, your thoughts on on Rocket Story? The the, the, the question I was going to ask is among the discourse of there being animal cruelty. I was genuinely shocked at how many people were genuinely shocked there was animal cruelty. You were told before this movie even started getting filmed that it was going to be Rocket's backstory. Were you expecting him to be a loan shark? What did you think you were getting? I like how Brock was very quiet during all this, and now I see why. He was holding like, that in. Like, I... <laughs> what did you expect... Like- we all saw the prison scene in the first movie. He had like wires and shit in his bag. He definitely was not just born like this. He literally no. drunkenly says as much in the first movie. And then it was like, yeah. Once again, I'm... media literacy is dead. Media literacy is dead. It's like you had, and this is the thing that I don't get. I don't understand it. And it's understanding the villain part. Okay. In a movie of another trilogy. No, well, sorry quadrilogy that just ended the excused murder of around i believe 600 people at this point happened because a group of five people killed one dog one dog and they got oh 
Man, that guy's the worst. Oh my goodness. Keanu, kill all of them. And this one, uh-huh. yeah, but why'd you hurt animals, though? I... <sighs> what? <laughs> Brock, are you trying to tell me that audiences and people talking about movies sometimes don't realize their own double standards, depending no, on the franchise? I'm going to tell you. <laughs> yes, almost surely. A, almost. I was almost as traumatized from that puppy and that one yelp it made at the, some levels of this. But go ahead, Manning. Go ahead. <laughs> I will say, I also, in order, Brock, I'll let you take a second to breathe as well, too. Um, uh, I think also that Twitter outrage will always be a bubble in comparison because the people who I have seen it, they may be more like, oh, that was disturbing. But they're not going to be like, why was that in there? Like, yeah, it's disturbing. We can all agree it was disturbing. Absolutely. That was the point. Exactly. (laughs) And I think most people who see it will agree with that point. And they won't ask, why was it there? That's the thing. And in Twitter outrage, we have known and it will always be a bubble because that's just kind of yeah. how Twitter is to a point. And that's where I've seen the most of it, because most casual viewers will talk about the that I have seen, which is three. <laughs> well, no, like not, not too many, um, but like they'll be like, oh, that's disturbing. But they're not going to comment on why. So yeah. just wanted to point yeah. that out there. Also, no. Twitter like outrage is real. he asked you all to say your favorite of Rocket's friends, and I'm the only I'm one there. who answered I'm getting the question. There. I'm getting there. I, got you, I just Mike. wanted to get the preface. I got you. No, I was I was going to say Layla because no one's mentioned her yet. I do genuinely like her, and it let, was let, all, my favorite. Let, okay. like Le- I will Lena let Cardellini. Me an answer. But was I the only one who, when we were watching the opening credits, and we saw Linda Carlini, that I was like, uh, I guess her and Jeremy Renner are in here somewhere. No, I didn't because I got told ahead of time when the scene dropped of her talking that she was voiced. So I, I didn't, I didn't see that. So I honestly just thought I was like, "Oh, is she?" Because no. I'm like, if you watch Hawkeye, she's related to Shield, so she make an appearance. Yeah. And then I like heard, and then it was one of those things where I heard the voice the first time. I was like, "Is that?" And then when it came back, I was like, "Oh no, okay, that's Linda." Yeah. Okay. And All right. Now yeah. Yeah. The scene happened. And I'm like, that is really cruel. And again. You want to know what it preps you for? Waiting to see the guy get his ass kicked. And what made it better at the end is that he was a powerless douchebag. Because you know how most powerless douchebags act? Overpowering the people that can't fight back for themselves. And that was a really curse because as soon as he took away the dumb gravity powers, he got the shit beat out of him. And it was a glorious beatdown that I really, really enjoyed. So... I would say Lila was my favorite. Oh, they were all good. That scene when he talks about going into the beautiful forever and just all of it. Oh, it was so well done. But one thing I have to ask, and I know that Mike made this assumption. Okay. Manning and Matt. I don't talk with either of you often. But I have to ask, especially considering Floor, do any of you think that one of the writers or someone on the design team watched Toy Story slightly before they designed that character? (laughs) Oh no, <laughs> he's talking about Sid and the, ba- all the, the baby the, head yeah. on the freaking spider legs that made me think yeah. of it immediately. <laughs> no, I didn't think of it, but it is a Disney thing, so who knows? It, I don't, it, yeah. It just also every voice of Rocket Aces, but yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. Does anybody know? And you don't have to. Was that Bradley Cooper the entire time? And they were just using like, um, yeah, no, uh, no, okay. really. Yeah. I thought it was. I thought that his voice just like pitched up. Is what? It yeah, like, like. I, I was just wondering. If they, there's they did that there. There's actually a couple um, voices for Rocket. Really? Wow, I didn't know that. Because I, the thing is, sometimes with, which I really hate sometimes, which is cast credits sometimes go by 
really fast. Really fast. And especially, <laughs> yep. I, I said it. I'm not sure if I said it on the stream. I think I said it before. I got attention deficit disorder. And Marvel credits tend to have a lot of shit happening when the cast things come up. So I, I can only focus on one singular thing. Mm-hmm. And so I was paying attention to all these pictures from the past movies. So I missed half of the cast. Oh, yeah. List. It was the fullest, one of the fullest credit sequences they've had. In it's great. I'm just saying for my sake, like... No, I, 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 I get after the first post credit scene when you just have a black background because then I can focus on the cast credits. Thanks, Marvel. So anyway, the voice, the voices of Rocket. Um, obviously, Cooper is like is present day Rocket, but Sean Gunn actually does the voice of young Rocket, while um, Noah Raskin voices uh, baby Raskin, baby Rocket. That's that's when he says the line hurts. Baby okay. Oh, oh. Man, I think we still haven't heard your favorite uh, member. Of the oh, it's 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 floor. I say that because obviously, I think her visual more so than anyone else is the most disturbing. Yeah, it's the um, most brutal. It was the one that I that kind of took me aback, and I was like, oh, okay, we're going there as a as a movie. Yeah. Um, because I had we'd known kind of we there were going to be some aspects of here that would be hard to watch. I didn't think they would they were going to go. I mean, honestly, out of all the out of a lot of the Marvel Cinematic Universe movies, this might be one of the darker ones that we have seen, if not the darkest. But I can't think off the top of my head of anything that's as dark. Really, a lot of a lot of some images that are very like wow. They are gun. James Gunn was allowed to go to a place that I don't think a lot of other people have had that luxury to go. It's dark. Um, I think it's the most dark. Like, there's stuff that's alluded to in other movies, but it's definitely the darkest where you get to see the stuff actually happen on screen. Yes, exactly. Yeah, Yeah. 100%. Yeah. Um, But yeah, Floor is because, but even though that she was the most visually um, disturbing, I would say, because I had a visceral reaction when I saw her, it was through that she still had this really sweet, endearing attitude almost. It was very childlike, and it kind of broke my heart to see that the way that it was the dichotomy of how she visibly looked and the probably the horrors that she had felt, but also the still the childlike quality and that innocence. And I, and it hurt, obviously we kind of knew what was going to happen. I kind of knew from the beginning, like, Oh, they're not going to make it out. And when they didn't, I know that just kind of wrecked me on the inside. So floor was my favorite that entire anything in the past. Just, man, that's just a, that just hurts. You know, it really does. Emotional damage. damage. Exactly exactly that's, that's, that's the movie I, look i didn't know that was gonna happen and so many reviews i've seen they're just like come on the minute we saw those characters we all knew and i was like it hurt what to do was get out of the cage yeah anyway i was like i thought it was either gonna be just one of them or none of them that was going to get out of there i thought there was gonna no in between where maybe the whole group makes it no i was like one and we're gonna meet them later or they all die (laughs) i so funny thing talking about getting out of the cage because we have that shot of rocket barely on to the movie to where he's he's looking at the key so i aside from watching the trailers I didn't know really anything about this. I don't read up on, you know, Wikipedia or any of these things. I don't watch reviews for it. So I didn't really know. I honestly thought that that was a piece of... Uh, the cassette? No, the... Peter Quill's Walkman. I, and I thought, I thought maybe I thought he that was too, rebuilding right? it for him or something. Uh, but then it wasn't. Because it, it kind of looked like it, it could have been maybe the face of it or something. So I was like, oh, is that is he going to... And then no, but... 
Because like, hmm. again, I, I really knew. Because let's be honest, the trailers for this really didn't give away the plot of this movie at all, which is no. totally fine. They were kind of just like, hey, you love the Guardians movies. This is your last time you're going to see them together. Enjoy. Or don't. We don't know. Since you've been gone. Since you've been gone. That's it. Um, uh, spe- speaking of the beginning of the movie, something I do want to bring up is how Adam Warlock comes in and just immediately, like, like immediately takes Rocket out of commission for, like, a majority of the film. And also, Will Poulter does a great job playing the maggot, like the kind of the magus version of Warlock, where he's still under underdeveloped and just kind of dumb, but in, but in a very in a very fun way. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So this is where my lack of knowledge of Marvel um, stuff past like Spider Man and Golden Age Fantastic Four comes into play. I don't think I've ever read a comic with Adam Warlock in it, so I knew nothing about this character. Um, I knew Will Poulter as the other British kid in the third Nardia movie and the kid in uh, Where the Millers, which is a great movie. And so, knew nothing about this. I thought he was really good. Um, He wasn't in it a ton, but, I mean, this is full spoilers, so by the post credit scene we're going to be seeing a lot more of him which i'm excited for and and i think what i like about him is he at he's in i don't want to say he's an antagonist because that's not really i guess in just the classic sense of like an antagonist antagonizes your protagonist he's an antagonist but he's kind of just like a tool for someone else because mm-hmm. at the end of the day and why he ends up joining the, this new guardians mm-hmm. is because you didn't really want to do this. And I kind of do like the whole thing that like, yeah, you took around the chamber early. He's kind of just a kid. Like he, he's a kid. He, and, and, and they really do show that. Well, of course is his whole friendship with, uh, with that little like uh cat, like creature just kind of shows that that it's just like, yeah. Um, yeah. I, I thought he was great. And, and I really, I really hope that they end up revisiting his character. I hope, I hope that post credit scene lives up. I really hope it's some of those things where it's like, oh, you thought you were going to get this, but uh, nope. Here's here's four other characters and Rocket Raccoon are your new. And it's like, oh, well, great. All right. Thank you. Um, go ahead, Manny. Oh, no. What I was going to say, this is where I think, for me personally, some of the faults of this film lie. Uh, Adam Warlock, outside of tr- getting the, the our characters on, we know the catalyst, the inciting incident, mm-hmm. what happens with Rocket. He really doesn't do much. I mean, yes, of course, he saves Quill at the end, and he kind of foils the plans of the heroes every now and then. You could have easily rewritten that to be someone yeah. else. It feels yeah. like he was a character that, while Will Poulter did great, I really liked <laughs> him, and I'm excited to see more of him. I feel like this along with like you know maybe little stuff here and there with some of the other characters because there's there's so there's so many characters in this mm-hmm. and really outside of the core cast everyone else is just kind of like yeah they're good they're fine they get the job done and adam warlock and his entire thing with the um oh what's his what's his species name I uh, the, the, oh, the sovereign sovereign sovereigns yeah sovereign yeah. they're 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 fine literally just him and his mom was it becky yeah. getting that paycheck good on her yeah. um but yeah it, it's it, i think he is fine what polter does good i really don't th- i really think you you didn't really need adam warlock you could have incorporated any other like 
high evolutionary character minion or something instead of trying to flesh out adam warlock as kind of like this really side character because the movie kind of almost halted as funny as some of his scenes were whenever we cut to them because they felt so disjointed from the main thing and i kept going to be like okay what about the guardians like yes he's there but they didn't serve a purpose. I mean, they served the basic purpose, but they yeah. felt so in comparison to our main heroes. So, so like subsidiary plot line, subsidiary plot line that really could have, you know, we could have either shortened, condensed, but I could have lived without it. I, I will again, Will Poulter's good, but his storyline I feel like was underserved, and I think I don't know why, why, but you I, know, he was there. Just going off of that, Manning, I, I honestly wonder if, because we know Adam Warlock is introduced during one of the, I think it's five post-credits scenes Most. of Guardians Volume 2. Yep. I wonder if oh, wow. that yeah. was more of a mandate from Marvel to be like, Adam Warlock's got to appear it's somewhere here. It, We've it, picked the Guardians movies to where he's going to appear. And maybe that's, again, this... James Gunn kind of having, you know, problems with what they did with Gamora. Maybe that's also, he's just like, well, I have to get Adam Warlock in here somewhere. Okay, I'll make him the inciting incident and it'll pop up a couple times and then he'll save, he'll save Starlord at the end of this and he's part of the New Guardians and some other writer can take care of his characterization somewhere else. Yeah. I wonder I, I if that's like, what happened. I feel like there was like a draft of volume two where Adam Warlock had more of a presence mm -hmm. but then you know his story went in a different direction and then finally he shows up in three and i can understand like hardcore fans of the character of the character having problems with his portrayal here just because he is the more underdeveloped um version but at the same time my thoughts on warlock in three are pretty similar to how I felt about the Sovereign in Volume 2, that they are just kind of there to be the secondary threat compared to the main antagonist, who I think is a lot more compelling of a character. And yeah, I really do think um, Chikuti Wuji's High Evolutionary is... I, I'm, I am um, hard-pressed to call him the best Marvel villain, but he is definitely the most the most um explicitly most. evil <laughs> he's the most most yes he is the most most he's very villain he's very no red skull was literally a nazi yeah okay, no, 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 no. yeah was, but he was too evil for the nazis <laughs> that's saying something my lord almighty <laughs> Well, what I'll say by quickly and add is that I really do think that while he is also another character that's kind of basic, like we don't know his motivation, we know his motivation, but again, we don't know his backstory. I think Wuji does a really good job of just hamming up the Shakespearean scene of it all. He really gets into it. And that's why I say he's the most most because every scene I kept thinking like, yes, give me more of the evolutionary because not only is he so ridiculously evil, he's so ridiculously fun to watch because Wuji puts all of his theatrics into every little inch of him. And I loved it. And, and going off what Brock said earlier about him, what, what I do like about him is he is that, um, which I guess I might just be pulling from my own personal life. He's that kid in school who was a nerd who got bullied and thought, oh, well, if I bully this nerdy kid, people won't think that I'm a nerd. And it's like, no, I'm sorry. You're still a nerd. Doesn't matter 
that you're picking on someone weaker than you, it, it does not change who you are. And I like that because Marvel is is full of the, the baddest of badasses villains, you know, Thanos and, and Red Skull and, and um, you know, and all, all these guys to Kang and, and all that, you know, like they're the bad. No one could be, you know, and this guy is just like, no, he's a loser. And he knows he's a loser and he's trying so hard. And that's why I like the shouting thing. That's, that's such a like classic, just even just in like real life. It's like, if you start shouting, trying to establish your dominance, you probably don't have much dominance to establish. There's, there's a, there's a uh, word for I that. Like it's called that. Uh, overcompensating. Yeah. You're overcompensating for something, uh, you know? And I, I like that because I think particularly, you know, for the guardians, I, I think a lot of their villains have been like that, you know, uh, since the first movie, which the villain's name is escaping me right now. Ronan. Like, yeah. Ronan, Ronan the accuser. That was Ronan to an extent, you know, you know, Ronan was trying to be like, I'm better than Thanos. And, you know, you're not because at the end of the movie, when Peter Quill starts dancing, you just go, what is going on here? You know, Thanos wouldn't be like that. Uh, and then you have Ego, who it's just like, <laughs> I, it's kind of sad to me that his name gets lost on people to where it's like his name is Ego because he's egotistical guys. Like, but that's what's great about it. and and so I think all three of the Guardians villains work really well because none of them are cool and none of them really are badasses. And it's kind of the point because none of our heroes are really cool, you know. Like let's by one sense person look, Peter Quill, he's ripped. Chris Pat put that work in, but like Peter Quill's a loser. It's it's 2023 and and he's still listening to 70s rock, you know. He's he's not cool. Even in we saw that wrong with seventies uh, rock. No, I'm just saying, like he's he's like me. I listen to you Am I not, in the news. Are we not, are like, we not cool, man? The difference is you had the availability to be to other music for most. Uh, of your life. He has true. an iPod now. Yes, but Ooh. he didn't for the first thirty years of his life. Regardless, the the whole. <laughs> I'm just saying, but that's kind of the point of the series, and that's what I like about it. Is like, for as you know, like. And we saw that in Infinity War when Peter Quill meets up with nothing's wrong with 70s rock. I this is why I don't do podcasts, people. This is why I do video essays. This is my last podcast ever. There's nothing wrong with 70s rock. I love 70s rock. Queen is great. I you know what? I had a point and now it's lost. I will try to just sum up quickly, and that's just going to be the entire thing. It's just this fucking asshole on Renegade said there's a problem with 70s rock. What's wrong with him? <laughs> the point is is that none of the villains are really that cool and none of our heroes are cool and that's why this movie series is so great because you're and rocket says as much about the villain in this movie which is you weren't trying to improve people you're just trying to make the world better for yourself the, the, the exact quote is you're not trying to you're not trying to make things perfect or you don't want to make things perfect you just hate what you just hate how they are yeah and yeah, and that's yeah. I, I think that whole storyline is really great. And Sunday's Rock is good. And something something that really sticks out <laughs> about that line is it could describe any any fandom on online or you know people like people who are discriminating towards any minorities, just like and any anyone and anyone who has like that superiority complex. 
And that's that's what makes High Evolutionary such a great villain is that they are just like they're they're the worst kind of person, just period. And we'll we'll get more into the last act later, but like what what Brock said, seeing him get like the ever the ever loving shit beat out of him towards the end is probably one of the most satisfying villain defeats that I've seen in a while. It is. Here, here. Um. Yeah, no, Brock. Just before we leave this point, you brought up a great thing to where it's like he seems all like badass when he's got his like gravity powers, and then you take that away from him, it's like you have nothing. You know, like no. you got nothing. This is. You know, and and I get to compare him to at least my favorite hero character in the Marvel universe is if you stripped Steve Rogers of his super soldier serum, you still have a guy with a gigantic heart mm-hmm. and and a willingness to take care of people. Whereas this guy, you strip away his powers and he's nothing. You know, and and that is oh, he's not nothing. He is still a douchebag. No, well, <laughs> but he's not. He has no real true power. He's just, yeah. he just likes to think he has power mm-hmm. because he picks on, you know, he punches down. We all know punching down gets you nowhere in life, kids. Um, so moving, moving on to like two, two of the MVPs of this entire trilogy, um, Nebula and, and Gamora. I think, I think these two probably have the best, the best arcs out of, out of everyone in in this trilogy but i want to start with with nebula because she she started off as you know an antagonist sort of ronin's right right hand man um and then became like an important figure in the guardians so manning i'm gonna start with you your thoughts on nebula throughout throughout this trilogy it's honestly really cool that we had someone like Nebula who could have been a throwaway character and could have died in the first one. And that's it. Good job, Karen Gillan. Enjoy your paycheck. But Gunn utilized her in a way that I really like. It's the old arc of villain turns hero. Um, and, and not just like a hero, like where they die a hero, but they actually live and join our heroes for the future. And it's funny now because I think of the third one, Nebula is really the mother of the group. Like she's the one who gets people in gear, gets them going. And whenever they're kind of like, all right, guys, we're going to, we got to do this. We got to do like, she's the one carrying uh, Quill uh, to ensure after he's had a drunken night because he just had, he's just so upset. She's the one that kind of gets stuff done and literally makes nowhere a home for the people of nowhere, for the guardians themselves. And I think what we had from what we saw, especially after I rewatched the first and second one recently, uh, a few days ago, it's just amazing to see how far her character has come. And I really enjoyed what they did with Nebula. And I think Karen Gillan did a wonderful job as this really gruff and no-nonsense character that slowly opens up to where it's funny because especially when you see where Gamora and Nebula are in the third one and, and contrast it with the first one, it's funny to see those roles almost reverse, really, where one is obviously had their heart opened and the other person kind of had it closed, but it's only been closed because it's never was opened in the first place. Good job. Time travel. Um, but yeah, I, I really do enjoy what Karen Gillan and James Gunn did with the Nebula character. And she slowly has one of the best arcs, maybe outside of rocket um, that we have had in the guardians trilogy. And if you take into account also too the Avengers movies, that's even more character development. Yeah. I, I forgot that like 
she she pretty much takes over a lot of Endgame. Yeah. Well, the third act is unfortunately dependent upon what Thanos did to her because if he hadn't done certain things to her, the third act doesn't happen the same way. That's true. Which now just reminds me of that hilarious exchange in the elevator. Oh, I just never noticed uh, how black your eyes are. They were replaced by my father as a means of torture. Oh, he oh. picked a pretty set. Ooh, I'm like, <laughs> oh no. <laughs> yeah, I, I as well liked Nebula in this film. I think she essentially replaces Gamora's role in the family from Guardians 2. Because you remember in Guardians 2, Gamora was, as Manning said, really the mom. She was even the one to console baby Groot when her and Peter and Drax were leaving to where she's like, we're going to be back before Rocket's finished building the ship. You know, you'll be okay. And now that's kind of Nebula is the one kind of keeping everybody together. And yeah, and, and look, it's it's funny talking about this church as a whole because it's like when I see Guardians 1, it's pre before I saw Doctor Who. So I didn't really know Karen Gillan as an actress. And now I know her as Amy Pond, who's like my favorite companion. And so it's cool that I'm like, oh my God, yeah, Karen Gillan's badass that she is in these movies. And she was fantastic. And, and she's, it's funny because we just talked about the villain who has to compensate for being cool and strong. And she just kind of is. And she doesn't have to be. Um, and I don't just mean that physically, just as a character. She is a very strong character. And, and particularly, you know, we know her story and we know what she went through. She is, um, she, you know, she went through this tremendous trauma of particularly always feeling like she was second best to her sister and, and then to go through that relationship arc with her in the second movie and everything. It's, it's wonderful. So your Gamora, that was a really interesting character because it was this thing of like, she's not our Gamora. She's a Gamora pre the events of Guardians. So she never had the things happen to her that the Gamora we know. And, and I think that leads into Peter's story because it is this like this weird thing of like technically speaking in the realms of things that is still Peter Quill and that is still Gamora. But it does kind of show like your relationships aren't just who you are. It's the experiences you go through together. And I thought that was great. And, and I really liked um, kind of how her ending this Gamora's ending isn't with the Guardians, it's with the Ravengers, because that's her found family. That's the family that she has connected with and that she has built bond with. And, and I thought that was great because it, it would have been so easy to have this movie, her story be realizing how much she needs the Guardians and, and how empty she's been. And, and this is really, no, she found out already, which leads into the fact that they brought him back. They got him back because you, you, James Gunn, you teased me about a movie with him leading it and I haven't gotten it. And now that you left, I'm afraid I'm never going to get it. But you brought him back for this audio listeners. I'm pointing to my Expendables 3 poster with Sylvester Stallone in it, uh, which, by the way, wasn't sure if he was going to come back. When I saw his name in the credits, I was like, yeah. Um, and yeah, that was wonderful. So, yeah, both of them. We're, we're done fantastically and i'm just going to mention this since i already mentioned the prison scene uh we got to see nate pavilion in one of these movies but his face isn't covered yep 
and he got to play one of my favorite Nathan Fillions, which is just kind of like lovable doof. I also just love the goof. I I love the costume that he's wearing. It's (laughs) It's just his giant. Oh, so I love it. It looks almost like like one of those like animatronic things you can see at like Universal or Disney, but without the mask on to complete it all. So it's kind of just like this is what they look like in the break room before they go out into the hot sun of Florida. I love that too. Yeah, that was great. Yeah, seeing seeing Nathan. This whole thing with the guy is like, yeah, I got one of those too. Really annoying. Relatable. Every every, every friend group has has one of those. Um, but yeah, going going back to Nebula and Gamora, I I I just really like the um, how kind of, kind of like what you guys said. Um, their their roles in a way kind of rever- reversed between between Guardians 2 and Guardians 3. Like, ne- Nebula has, has like, all these years of experience with, with the Guardians um, and kind of taking on that role of the mother figure, whereas Gamora, because time travel and all of that, doesn't have the same history. And I, I, th- I think, the, like, the new dynamic that she has with Peter is very, very interesting definitely definitely reminds reminds me of like you know a cup a couple who has been like divorced for x amount of years you know especially when she says that line at the end i bet we were fun that certain like certain certain lines like that are really powerful in this movie it's a very mature way to cap for now their relationship or the relationship that never was in this timeline um, with the character who she is now, it's a very mature response because you're right, Matt. That could have ended it with a bow and like, oh, she's back together with him. How lovely! But no. But I, I, I also like that when I brought that up because it is, you know, there, there is also that thing of like, who knows? But, but I think it's, it's important to show that like, oh, there is something just in, in the general sort of sense of the universe of love. There is something between. Gamora and Pierquil that even this Gamora can sort of understand why a different version of her would have fallen in love with this guy even if she's not going to and and I think that is really good and I honestly hope they they never get there I honestly was thinking it was gonna happen I'd be more interested in exploring that relationship with Nebula because I, I think you know but again we'll have to see who Peter Quill is you know we'll have to talk about that when Matt we knock it off meet up with him knock it off but again that that when we talk about pure cool i'll talk about why i like that whole storyline too um i can't take credit for for this observation but um some someone on someone on twitter pointed out that a lot of phase phase four had to do with like um you know certain love interests kind of breaking up and the fallout between them like in thor love and thunder we had thor and um jane and jane you know re like no none none of these couples have reunited at all they're just sort of like they're they're just sort of like you know re like reconnecting and sort of exploring their post like their post breakup um lives and i don't know there's there's some there's something about that that feels very um 
it, it just kind of feels appropriate given this transition phase that we're in with phase four. Are we in phase four or are we in phase five? I don't know. We, 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 are, we are in phase five, but... I gotta be I, honest I, I, with you I guys. Just... I only really know phase one. I, I'm like, I know Iron Man to Avengers is phase one. After that, can't tell you where it splits. And uh, Brock... I honestly thought you were facepalming. <laughs> you just bent down that far. Like, oh. oh my god, Matt! You don't no. know all the differences no. in the phases. No. Seriously? No. <laughs> I was like, all right, fine. Seventy back no. is cool. And I'll learn all the phases. I'll do it. I'll read Wikipedia tonight. I'll do it. Oh, when it stops splitting with TV shows and all the other things, and they stopped capping it with oh, Avengers yeah. films. Well. Once I started introducing Disney Plus into it, I was like, I'm never going to see all this. And also, I'm never going to learn all these things. I'm sorry for cutting you off, Mike. All good. Um, but yeah, that, that is a good point you bring up that it is kind of like, is postmortem on a relationship? Is that a phrase? I don't know. Eh, it could it? be. Because could we say exploring that? Just trying to get some buzzwords on here. Manning's not here, but I'm trying to give him some uh, stuff for work. I'm trying to be like, yeah. Yeah, just throw that in there, and then I'll trademark it, and I'll sue you for using my phrases. Um, Brock, <laughs> I'm, I'm gonna, smart. I, I'm, I'm gonna I'm gonna throw this to you. Um, is has has there been a better a better example of a writer taking taking a story like a story beat from some other movie and making and making the most out of that? experience than oh, how james gunn handled post endgame gamora uh, <laughs> i don't know if that counts um <laughs> if we're going within the same single amount of movies it'll actually be something that matt that matt will very much appreciate just literally remaking the intro scene of top gun again <laughs> in the top gun sequel it's true oh. <laughs> they do yeah like like even down to the transition of like the Top Gun theme to um high like danger, danger zone, zone. Yeah. like I like Top Gun I saw when I was ripes in my mid twenties I never seen it until then I just I knew there was a beach scene where Tom Cruise is wearing jeans because it's Tom Cruise and I was like whatever and then my surrogate mom my second mom was like it's my favorite movie I'm like all right then we're for movie night we're watching it I liked it and then. I got chills when it happened in a theater. I was like, what just happened? I like, I liked the first one, but it wasn't no monolithic thing to me. And that like legit gave me goosebumps. Um, oh man. I, okay. This is going to be an in Marvel one. And other people thought it was cheesy and stupid, but I really liked it. And it's legitimately my favorite moment in a Marvel movie ever. And I had an out of body experience when it happened because Give or take, like, I got it, but I forgot. When they bring everyone, when they show that the snap worked, and you see, um, oh, now I'm forgetting her name. Linda Cardellini's. It's Hawkeye's wife. I can't think of what her actual name is. Uh, I will look up her name. Laura? You do this. Yeah, Laura something. I'll, I'll look it, it up. It would have been Laura yes. Barton, or but which, either way. Like, you see the phone call, so you're like, oh, it worked. They're back. And then immediately a bomb hits the Avengers compound and everything's happening. So at least for me, you were not thinking about the fact that every other Marvel hero that was dead is back. And then you get to the whole thing where they try and fight all that and Cap is on his last legs. And it just proves that they just put the nail on the head of like why Cap's my favorite character of all time. Whole entire field of just 
thousands of troops and Cap's got a broken in half shield. He goes, you know what? I'm going to use the straps of my shield to brace up my most likely completely fucked arm. And I'm going to go fight. I'm going to die. I don't care. And it's Laura you, Barton. By the way. Laura Barton. It's and then Laura you Barton. you hear the crackle over the headset of him. And then that's when my ADHD riddled brain clicked. On your left. Like, I'm like, on your left. I'm like, shut up. What? And then I was like, like on your left. And then it's basically two moments. You you get the repeat of the on your left, but Mackie getting to say it, Falky getting to say it to him. And then the first person through the portal is T'Challa. When one of the first people to help sit on the front lines was Cap. So redoing both of those moments, I was like, that's just, I'm getting legit chills thinking about it now. I feel very sorry for the for the mom and the son that were sitting next to me because I might have said some things that a child of that age should not have heard. But <laughs> Mommy, that was a what does damn that was so fucking awesome. I can't fucking believe that they just did that. That was fucking great, mean. <laughs> That's not that that was there was there was some but that was a really good callback. And it was just I just like Th- that, but that's one of the whole ever where it's one of my biggest kind of gripes with Marvel movies where everyone's like, oh, Look, they did the thing. I'm like, Guess what? A lot of other movies do that. It just as it happens that the other movies don't have 30 movies in them. So, yeah, they might have done that a couple of times. That's how comic books work. They're built on that shit. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's how but, comic books sometimes just um, repeat things that have oh, been man, I gotta... You just broke. Did I break the code? Did I say the thing? That no, wow. I wanted to. I know I'm controversial. I don't know. I'm just saying things. Like I don't know, Brock. I'm on this stream. I think you'll be fine at the end of the day. Okay, but, but no, like, I'm probably going to think of six as soon as this drops of that example. Now that, like, oh, yeah, but anyway. Yeah, those are up there. But bringing that stuff back, James is always really good at stuff like that. Like, the and again, like having moments for everyone, bringing back a moment from another thing. You had the arrow in the movie. I don't know if this technically counts. Yondu passing away, it always was a big thing for Peter. You forget that he was also very much a father figure to Craglin. Yeah. And then in the movie, I was like, okay, Rooker has got to show up. It is a James Gunn rule. Until that man is in the grave, he's going to be in every single thing that James Gunn makes. And I'm like, at this point... I can't wait for him to be Pa Kent. It's, it's pretty much going... It's either going to be... He's either going to be him or he's going to be Perry White. It's going to be one of the two. Either way, I'd be happy. But then when all of a sudden I'm like, okay, he's not being anything for Peter. Why is he going to... I'm like... And then all of a sudden nowhere's there. And I'm like, okay, now I'm just waiting on it. Because he's going to wreak havoc with the Yaka Arrow. And sure enough, he shows up for two seconds... And it was fantastic. So I do have to yeah, say, that's another I, I never saw him father figure. I always just saw him as like best friend to Craglin. Well, like I they, get they that, were, but like you never got to see them outside of, yeah, I'm glad we got that kid back from the whatever. Cause like, who else did Craglin have? He, he, like, no, he, 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 had, he, he, he was had the, Yondu. That's he, he yeah. was the Smee to, uh, to Yondu's Captain Hook. Yeah. It was, it, it was, no, and it it's, was yeah. And, and there's a reason why. He, I like that. You know, there's, there's a reason why he yeah. gave yeah. him, you know, the the arrow, which also leads into uh, Cosmo. Yeah, I was I was dog. gonna get I was gonna that, get to that next. That good dog. plot thread was just the best because you never, and this is to my knowledge. Again, I haven't seen all movies with talking pets. Can we? Have we ever seen one 
where they actually got to see the dog's perspective of being called a bad dog and how much that is bordering on a racial slur for a dog. <laughs> I don't know. Beethoven, I think, showed his annoyance sometimes. But, like, to that severity of how, how much it would hurt to be called a bad dog for a dog. Like, it blows my mind that I can't think of another example. I don't think there are a lot of examples unless the people are like dicks that they call a dog a bad dog. Because in movies, like... There's not an Airbud movie to where it's like, Airbud, you missed that basket. You're a bad dog. Don't say that. It it, yeah. it it was both played for laugh, but also taken seriously. And that's why I think um, Maria Bakalova was the perfect choice to play Cosmo. Because she, the, the delivery in, after Kraglin says that, she's like, take it, take it back. You take, take that back. <laughs> no, and, and you're right, Brock. It's, it's one of those things to where it's like it's it's one of those things to where like we may not think of it, but we have those things to where it's like, like if one of my friends was to say Harrison Ford is the worst actor of all time, I'd be like, excuse me, I'm sorry. Mike dealt with this early in the week when he oh, said man. the first Chris Reed Superman movie isn't perfect. And I was like, uh, excuse me, Mike? Uh, what did you just say? We all have those things. And for Cosmo, it is being called a bad dog. It's like, I am not a bad dog. You take that back. I am a good dog. You know I'm a good dog. You take it back. And I, I like how at first when they're playing the poker game, it's just like, no, I'm not taking it back. You're a bad dog. And yeah, people can argue. Oh, I wonder how this York's going to end. You know what? Sometimes there are just you can easily see the the sequence of A to B, but that doesn't mean that it's bad. And you know what? I was waiting for it, and then when he said it at the perfect moment, I was like, "Yeah, yeah, you bet, yeah, bet." Cosmo's a good dog. And I want that McDonald's figure of Cosmo now. I'm what? laughing so hard because I think Mike just saying the quote: "The first Christopher Reeves movie isn't a." perfect movie might be the meanest film criticism I think I've ever heard Mike say in his life. It came out of his mouth on Twitter. Okay? <laughs> he didn't even respond to me when I responded to it. I, did, I didn't even have words. I just had the um, it's the uh, James Franco gift from um, uh, from the interview to where he's like <laughs> I had no words for this man. <laughs> we'll We'll talk about that some other time, oh, but <laughs> that's <laughs> whatever. Oh. Uh, but, Man but Manning, what did you think of of Co the Cosmo and Craglin hour? Oh, that perfectly fine. I I think I thought it was. Listen, this is this is me. I, I think Guardians Three is one of my favorites. It's, it's definitely my favorite movie of Phase Five. I'll tell you that. Oh, uh, bold uh, statement. I know, right? Aren't there only like three movies? There's two. Is it two? Oh, it's it's this the Black Panther, I think. No, it's this Wait. and um. Oh, is this an Ant Man? Black... Yep. Oh, Black, Black Panther the last one. four. Got See? it. Okay. Yes. Got it. See, yeah, that's how. That's kind of good confusing. I, I only know. I only knew that because I looked it up on Wikipedia, Matt. So you're good. Um. Cool. That makes me feel. But. Better. Yes, <laughs> I would never have known otherwise. Otherwise, I I always thought it'd be the Avengers movies, but that is not the case. Actually, that break them up, they're not. The they final killed chapters. it with Phase Two, where they ended it with yes. Ant Man One. I'm like, why? It had nothing so, to do with the previous movies. It's a that's why I said epilogue. I only know Phase One because I know it goes from but, Iron Man to Avengers, and then it's done. Anyway, 
Craglin and Cosmo, good scenes. Nothing really that I was like, wow, this is some great grade A cinema. Like, I don't have an emotional attachment to Craglin because, yeah, he's been in all three, but he's kind of been a secondary character in all of them. And this one, he had a nice moment to really shine and save nowhere. But other than that, I, I, I think that, you know, he is a nice, fun side character that is just kind of there with yeah, just enough to, to be able to, to not harp on mm-hmm. someone who might be someone's favorite Star Wars character. But going by just the movies, he's kind of like the Wedge Antilles of the yes. series. He's there in Very all of them. Good. He yeah. makes a difference in all of them. But he's a secondary character through and through. 100 yeah that's, that's, that's fair we love dennis lawson but he's, and you know he's he's not the movies don't depend on what's what Gentilly's gonna do about this yes well that's that's for the that's for his uh solo film that he was going to have until they stopped making star wars films well they're bringing <laughs> um, back. that's the we we we're gonna break the story here that's the floney movie uh, of course <laughs> Uh, but no, I think Cosmo is really Academy Award nominee Maria Bakalova. I mean, come on, like I she the fact that 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 is excellent. Like it's just only a few lines, but she does great with what she is given, and really is kind of like just the way she uh, embodies with her voice. It just kind of kills me every time to think, wow, that's that's the Academy Award nominated actress. I honestly Borat, thought Manning was building up that it. she should get an Academy Award nomination. Oh, for no. Cosmo. I was like, really? I mean, I like the voice. Really? No. Yeah. No. What was she nominated for? Oh, Borat subsequent movie film. That's <laughs> her? Yes. yes. Okay. It's great. I was like, I don't know. Is that just, everyone's talking yeah. about her. That's who she is. Yes. Nice. Great, great nomination, by the way. Super cool. Oh, I Super love cool. the fact that Borat subsequent movie film, like Jackass uh, Bad Grandpa, is an Oscar nominated film. Yeah, for for an actress. Like, come on. That's great. Yeah, that's I also hey, did not know that was that, the, movie, that was the subtitle of the movie. I knew it got another one, but until now I did not know that's what it was called. Oh what? Borat <laughs> subsequent <laughs> movie film? I can't wait till yes. they make a third one. Uh, well, that's the thing. Though. Wait. He said wait. that he thinks that he can't do them anymore in like real life situations because he's got there was some interview where he said he's almost genuinely scared at certain points that he might not be able to get away with doing yeah. them anymore. Well, that's yeah. that's yeah. one of my favorite things is that when he first tries to go on the street, everybody just knows Borat. Like yep. I just love that the they problem. they reference yeah. the fact that like yeah this is difficult to make these movies now because it's not 2003 everyone knows who I am and knows these characters. Yep, that's yeah. the problem. But back to Gert. Anyway, yes. yes. Cosmo. Overall, Cosmo's great. Good dog. Craglin's good. They're they, again. They're they're not the highlights, but they're not detractors by any no. by any stretch of the imagination. They're the inverse of Adam Warlock for Manning Franks. Yeah, they're the inverse where they don't detract, but they're good instead of being good, but detracting. What you didn't like that I he showed you. up every every you. about 35 minutes went, ah, and then went back away. <laughs> yes, I loved that. My favorite part, actually. <laughs> I was not prepared for that. Just, ah. That's essentially what he does every time. He goes up, wrecks someone, and then all of a sudden, a car, a ship, something hits him, and then he leaves. Exactly. Will Poulter is just sipping some tea somewhere off It's like, oh, is it my time now? Ah! That's pretty much what it was. It was like, okay, he comes in, he wrecks Rocket. Cool. All right, he's going to come in, see the Guardians there. 
Oh no, Gamora's on the ship, but we need to sell her for 10 minutes. Here comes the plot inconvenience. Boom! And then he's gone again. Yeah. And then he, he is a plot that, device. Yeah, he recreates that freaking photo of the finger touch when he's <laughs> in space. That was about the most epic thing he did. I was not prepped for that. And I was I like, either. creation either. of Adam or the this, creation of Quill. All right. Okay. Anyway. Oh my God, wait. That's. Um, so the two characters we haven't talked oh about yet. Lord. The two characters we haven't talked about yet are Mantis and Drax. Um, I got no notes. They're perfect. Yeah, it, it's it's one of those things where like Kevin Feige said it, and like during the interview, I've kind of like expunged on this. Like Dave is one of the most just like doesn't get his flowers enough talented like oh, actually so works good. his ass off actors ever and i said this to mike during our review and i'll say it wholeheartedly he's the best wrestler turn actor there is oh he really? actually plays different characters as much as i like Dwayne, i grew up watching him a lot 99 percent of what he does is the same guy with a different smirk and shirt like what's the one percent like that when he faster he didn't talk in that movie Oh, I'd actually seen Faster, so that's the 1%. That's the top 1% Faster of the Faster is 1%. genuinely where he really tries. Almost no one saw it, and I don't blame them. I'm sorry, I kind of forgot sure. it existed until I had to make an example just now. What are we talking about? <laughs> we're we're talk, like, talking about Dave being really talented, and Kevin Feige said he's one of the most talented actors they have. I'm like, he generally works his ass off and tries really hard, and will openly admit to people that he is trying, and he's not perfect yet. And I was saying during my review with Mike, I'm like, He's head and shoulders above the best wrestler turn actor there is. And he's had the least experience. I, I, I said this in our review that out of all the actors or wrestlers turn actors, he will be the first one to win or to at least be nominated for right. an Academy Award. I think some of you have missed the classic Mr. Nanny starring Hulk Hogan. Uh, I did, and I keep my statement the way that it is. Same. Because <laughs> I'm not, I don't know if you, sir, saw the Fred movies, but that's Oscar contention. Oh, <laughs> oh yeah, that's okay. John well, Cena. sir, listen, <laughs> I give John Cena, Cena props for Peacemaker. I'll give him that. Oh, yeah. Peacemaker's are phenomenal. <laughs> I'll give him, props yeah, he can't win an Oscar, but he should really win no. an Emmy like, for that certain, show at some point. <laughs> certain parts of Trainwreck. Like him being in the movie theory yeah. theater, he's like, Dr. Mark Wahlberg, I look like the guy that ate Mark Wahlberg. <laughs> like certain moments like that, he's hilarious. I don't know Great if anybody else chops. remembers this movie, but he is really funny in Sisters with uh, Tina Fey and Amy Fuller. Oh, I, oh, I, I remember. Where I remember he, he's movie. the drug he dealer. Was... And at the end, he's just like, whatever his name is, like, I don't got work TSA tomorrow. I can party. <laughs> just how ridiculous. He's got the unbelievable amounts of tattoos. Just. And he literally says a cardboard cutout standing there like, we got this, this, MDMA, this, that. <laughs> John Cena is really funny. And I really like that he's, like, he's, he's accepted. He's like, oh, I don't have to have this. I'm a badass wrestler anymore. He can just be kind of fucking goofy. Mm-hmm. But yeah, Dave Bautista, he's, he's great. I love Drax. I, I think he's wonderful. I, I love the whole thing of you, you were never a good destroyer. You were a good father because it's mm-hmm. from, the literal beginning of this series, his whole revenge tour was to save his family you know, or avenge his family. And mm-hmm. so, yeah, like I, I just said, that's really sweet because you saw that in guardians too. You saw, you know, these, these, you know, he talks about his daughter with mantis, you know, about how 
childish she is and he's like you know you remind me of my daughter and it is really sweet that whole thing at the end with the kids when he's you know doing the monkey sounds and everything it is it's nice to because i think very often sometimes there's this thing in movies to where um the really tough and, and we see it a lot like david jesus was even in a movie that was this which is my spy or something like that to where it's like the really tough, cool, badass guy is going to get paired with a kid and wacky shenanigans are going to happen. It's just like, I like more like this or like the kindergarten cop to where it's like, no, you can still be a cool, badass person, but like you can also just have wonderful paternal instincts towards young kids. Mm-hmm. Like they, there is a Venn diagram mm-hmm. where they go together. You have to be a wacky guy to do it. And I really like that. And I think Petitza pulls off well. I have to be honest, I, I think outside of his work in the MCU, from my knowledge, the only thing I've seen him is his um his short appearance at the beginning of Blade Runner 2049, so which good. he's great in, yes. but I just simply based on not having seen a lot, I, I can't agree with you guys. I'm like, oh, he's he's gonna be the first wrestler turn actor oh. to get a nomination, you know? Like did you see um, Glass Onion? And Eyes Out no, Square? I didn't. Uh, okay. no. He's very good at that. He's yeah, no, I, but that's what I'm saying. I just can't agree with that because like, he's great as Drax. Fair. He was really good in that, Fair. but like, neither one of those am I like, that's an Oscar winning actor right there. But, I think yeah. it's more of the speaks to the pool of wrestlers turned actors out yeah. here than it does, I think, to his skill. at. I don't think he's ever going to win one. I mean, watch me. I eat my words and he gives me the, the best Oscar winning performance. In like That's yeah. His speech is going to be, you listen here, Manning Franks. I <laughs> saw like, your review. He when he cuts a wrestling promo on it. your ass. Look at it. I'll be like, no, it's not even that. Man, you know just going to knock at the door. This is gonna be Dave Bautista. Has anyone like... ever seen Jerry Bob uh, strike back? Yeah, because it's just gonna yeah. be that, but he's just gonna beat me with the Oscar. Yeah, he's just Bro, the what I could have winning, huh? Huh? Manning, you asshole! <laughs> I'll just be like, ah. I do have to ah. say though, since we're on Dave Bautista being great. That thing he did for Netflix on April Fool's Day, Dave Bautista's comedy special. If you have not seen it, it's great. it is it's great. so they right so Manning. It is they because so Netflix is very famous for doing this for Netflix. They put out a promo for Dave Bautista's comedy special, and it is like I would watch a full hour of this actually if it existed. You have to watch it. It is fantastic and does show that he has a great sense of humor but yeah he's he's wonderful were we also talking about mantis or just we were talking about mantis as well yeah into dave only Uh, the actress's name is escaping me right now tom clementoff she's she's really good and and she i think i like how um going back to the holiday special i like how they grew her character a little bit more in that they they she is really kind of the lead of of that um short i guess you would call it because it's not a movie special um yeah, yeah. special she's, <laughs> she's really good and i really liked her story at the end of she kind of spent her whole life in service of other people and now it's kind of time like she never she never had an opportunity to be her own person because she was either egos like i guess handmaiden assistant was, she was basically ego sleeping pill to it yeah you know yeah. or or <laughs> she was a member of the yeah. guardians that that's she went from one to the other she had no 
overlap to where it was, you know, she's Mantis. And and I like that ending that now she's going to go and, and discover who that is. And, and I like how she, she is an antithesis to most, if not all the Guardians, to where they're kind of very much punch first, ask questions later. She's like, you know, maybe they're not bad. Let's see. And then those creatures aren't bad. They just they don't want to be here either. They don't want to do this either. They and that's great. They don't need batteries. They don't need people. She 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 is the the empath of the group. And I what I really like about her arc is that it 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 is relatable in that in that sense of like pe- people like her like put put other people's needs like before themselves, and that isn't always like the healthiest thing to do and i'm glad that by the end of this film she kind of realizes you know i i i need to i need to think about what i what i want um i think i think that's a message that that we can all learn every every now and then yeah that 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 is for sure that she did the she always so like she's never the person that's forced into the front of stuff but she's always good in whatever she is asked to do in the films, which is nice. It's nice to have just a backdrop character that can kind of be there when they need to. And Palm's very good at just feeling that. She's also becoming another one of the, if James does a movie, she's just there. Because yep. she's in the Suicide Squad for roughly five seconds. Oh, yeah, <laughs> and I, she's a, one of the um, background kind of like barely clothed woman character in the bar when the, in the Suicide Squad. She's there for like... Oh, couple of shots. She's just Didn't on a table. That. Yeah. Speaking and of, I think, she, I think she's in Peacemaker too. I think. Um, she might be. But speaking she's... speaking of the Suicide Squad, um, do you know who the receptionist is? Um, in in the Orgo Corp. Yeah, it's uh, it's, um, Anna. yeah, the the actress Our who work. plays uh Ratcatcher two, yep. Manning. You had it. Yes. And you muted. Oh, I was thinking of the the other one. I was thinking of hardcore is because you said reception, the one who was on the mic the whole time. Um, James Gunn's wife in real life. Yeah. Oh, yes. I forgot about her. I yeah. um, I'm going to look her name up right now. I don't know her name, but the right catcher too. Uh, Daniela Melchor or Melchior. Melchior. Yeah. I think it's Melchior. Melchior. All right, Daniela Melchior. So, like, I, 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 I knew, I knew that immediately when, when she first, like, when she first showed up, like, oh wow, so James Gunn really is using pretty much all of the actors, um, you know, that he's like used in the past. That's mm-hmm. that's something I really like about right. about Gunn. Mm-hmm. You know, it's not it's not uncommon for directors to have like, you know a troupe of actors, composers, um, a co-writer that they, that they will frequently collaborate with. And it, it's, it's fun to see like the people that James Gunn likes to use. Like, Oh, like, well, yeah, that's Nathan Fillion again. He's, he's another one of those who just yep. pops up in all James Gunn's work in some shape or form you know are you guys trying to say that there's people that show up in every one of his movies other than his wife therefore making that argument unbelievably dumb surprise macaulay culkin Culkin face oh Um, also the fact that like 
They weren't married when he first cast her, I believe. No, they were the whole time. That's the only reason she's in any whole movie. Time. Have you not whole seen time. the internet? Why is it every time someone says the whole time, I think of Sally Field from uh, Mrs. Doubtfire? You have a whole time? The whole time? <laughs> the whole time? <laughs> Sally Field's great. Why isn't she in a Marvel movie? Kevin Feige. Because she was Why didn't you bring back her Aunt May? You could have. Oh, I was just going to say. Where was her Rosemary Harris? You could have done it. Could have. Harris alive? Rosemary Harris still alive. Oh, she is still? Yeah. Yes. Oh, wow. 97. Nice. Yeah. Dang. Where, Good for her. Where were they? And she That's was on, who I was waiting on, for. Yeah. And she was on. She was like doing a a, thea- a play or something, and in, in her nineties still. So. Awesome, theater. <laughs> That's spectacular. spectacular. Good on her. Good yeah, her. good on her. Nice. That's awesome. I'm not confirm the things happened in the past. Okay, we're good. We're good. Ninety five. Ninety five. Nice. He's a new That's one. The I'm sure for is sometimes you know look. We all thought Betty White was making two hundred. Unfortunately, sometimes we think. And then mm, we have to reconfirm. Unfortunately, Google tells us the bad news. Hey, it's like I can't yeah. tell you how many people don't think Clint y'all, Eastwood is alive. Y'all, still. she was Clint literally. Uh, you guys know the sh- uh, the show uh, Search Party. Yeah, I can't um, say oh, yeah. I do. Well, uh, she was on two episodes back last year, and ninety four years old. <laughs> wow, she's still working. That's amazing. She looked eighty six in two thousand. When did Spider Man come out? Two thousand two. Yeah, that's a. If we ever talk about those Spider-Man movies on a point, I gotta talk about both great actors. But unfortunately, Aunt May and Uncle Ben become more grandma and grandpa to me in that movie. That was one thing. I know we're going on a tangent. Everyone yes. flipped their shit when Marissa Tomei was casted as Aunt May. She was fifty. I'm sorry that for once we gave him someone that was Aunt May that didn't look like his great grandparent. <laughs> whoa, 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 whoa! You shut your mouth about Sally Field. Hey, don't bring Rosemary Harris down like this, y'all. Come on. I'm not saying it as a bad thing, but everyone's like, they have to look 60 and above or it's wrong. (laughs) I mean, it's looking back at the comics now. It's like, why do they draw them so elderly? (laughs) I I don't get it, but sorry. Yeah, Mike, speaking of age, there, there is, there was a fun, a funny line exchange between um, Peter and Mantis where Mantis is talking about like the family that, that Peter left behind on earth. (laughs) And, um, Peter says something about his grandpa, like he's he's like he's like ninety or something. He's like ninety or something, and and Mantis is like, um, like are 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 people still still alive at this age? And and Peter's like, people people die when they're like fifty. She said, and she says like, are you about to die? I'm not turning (laughs) fifty. How old do you think I am? Love that. That is also lines oh. like that, or or else I I love because that is you you get reminded a lot throughout this series that Peter Quill left Earth when he was like what eight nine yep. yeah something like that so like his understanding of like Earth is still it's something else that uh, another movie um which I love uh the original Jumanji with Rob Williams the character of Alan it's like their understanding of the world is still from when they're kids because because of what happens to both of them they don't they don't get to grow up and, and grow through all the things that that we all do and, and yep. understand the world like we do and i like that i i like that you know yeah when you're a kid like 50 is 100 like it's the same thing to you you know like yeah. they're, they're they're in a state of arrested development exactly sure. uh, yeah and i have we'll, 
we'll right. we'll we'll get to the scene at the end that at least the first time I saw the movie made like made me cry like a baby. But yeah, um, they they really they really do kind of build up in this movie to Peter learning that part of growing up is is learning that you can't just run away from your problems. Mm-hmm. Which which is kind of something that both he and and Rocket learned by the end. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I th- I will say I think that's the strong aspect. Like we had Quill has had his moment I think in Volume Two to really have his depth. This one it's not necessarily a Quill centric movie. The second one really was. This one not as much. This one is definitely feels more the Guardians more so than I think. Well, okay, the first one did feel like it was the Guardians. But this one felt more so like Gunn did a good job really balancing everyone to ensure that everyone had a good arc. But really, it was Rocket, too, because he is the centerpiece. He is the one that they're, you know, saving. He's the he's I don't want to say he's the MacGuffin, but they're trying to save him. He pretty much kind of is. He kind of is, but he's more. He's he's the full point. Yeah, well, he gets the full point. I like that. In the same way Quill was of the first two and and. I when I bring this up, people are gonna be like, How do you mentally connect these two trilogies together? But what I like about it is that not that Pierre Cole's story is done, but his necessity to be the focal point is kind of done at the end of Guardians 2, which allows Rocket to be the focal point of this one. It's kind of like how in the Mighty Ducks trilogy, Gordon Bobe is the focal point of the first two, and then his story is kind of wrapped up at the end too leading to charlie being the focal point of the third movie and gordon's still there and he still has his story but i like when they do that i like when they don't try to force more story onto a character who doesn't really need more story as a focal point and that's what they did here and and Mm -hmm. that's great i know peter quill for a lot of people is a very um divisive character at least from what I've seen in the discourse on once again Twitter, which we have spoken about before, is is kind of a bubble. Mm-hmm. Uh, I do I think know... also a lot of the damage happened in Avengers. A little yeah, bit, just say. it is. Even, but even pre that, I felt like I remember when Guardians Two came out. There, uh, the, this like disdain for the character of Peter Cole existed, which is really weird because he's always <clears throat> for a while he was my favorite Marvel character. And I still really like his character, and, and I like what they did with his story. As I talked about when I was talking about Gamora, I like that he thinks he has to get back together with Gamora. That's going to solve all these issues I've been having as I lost the love of my life. She's back in my life. She's different. But I just got a reminder that we're in love, and she's going to feel we're in love, and we'll be back to the way things were. And then is understanding that, no, I don't need this. Like, I, there is a connection I need, but it's not romantically. It's this connection that I left behind all these years ago. And I love that. I, I love that final scene and, and even the post credit scene because that is what he kind of needed. He's, in a weird way, he's, at least for right now, he's gone as far as he can in the sort of galaxy and and sort of the marvel world that he needs to come back and deal with the stuff he left behind when he was eight you know because people have talked about that you know just in discussion about like we don't really think about what was it like for his grandfather that on the night he lost his daughter he cannot find his grandson anywhere like he 
I don't know what he thinks happened to him, you know? Does mm-hmm. he think he just ran off? And, and you know, well, he definitely probably probably ran off, but, like, to just never hear from him. And, and you know, and, and that's why I, I think it's great that, like, he doesn't need to be Star-Lord now. He needs to be Peter Quill. You know, he's. I think that's probably better to say. He's gone as far as he can as Star-Lord. Now he needs to be Peter Quill. And, yeah, and it's really, like, it's sweet, you know? Like, when, you know, the his, um, I guess that would be, uh his uh his grandfather's girlfriend or maybe wife i i don't know if i saw wedding rings on them but that romantic partner and i like how she just kind of knows that that's peter you know that that's a, you know because she's probably definitely at her you know and and his grandpa i love that it's just like immediately there's just this love that he has that like he's gotten him back and then yeah the stinger in the second post-credit scene to where he's like well you have to cook grass like that's great. <laughs> By the way, how how cool is it that uh, that this is this is one of the first like big me- like media things to feature Magic Spoon just in the like yeah. just casually in the background. Uh, I didn't even I I don't internet so I I didn't even recognize that. I know what it is. A couple of YouTubers I follow have been sponsored by it but i i have to unfortunately to those youtubers i have not followed your links to get a free month of magic spoon it was it was one of those things where like when the movie was done we sat like you got the one thing there's one thing i want to ask also that was a the weird first that this movie got (laughs) that they made a deal of mentioning but um this when that post-credit scene came up and it was the second one i was like cool what's this gonna mention and then, like, I kind of didn't hear what they said about, like, some 45-year-old man mowing the lawn. I thought for, like, some weird way someone was going to show up, like, in the door. And then they, like, I was waiting. I'm like, and then it just went to white. I'm like, no, I misheard them. He was talking about Peter. And then there were just, and then my friend turned me and was like, what was the point of that credit scene? I'm like, no, that was actually kind of a big deal. He's like, why? Because Peter's never got to do that. He's never got to just sit and have an awkward conversation with his grandfather as an adult. That was actually a big deal all of us take for granted that we could just pop over for five minutes, be like, yep. Okay. And then, you know, in Wisconsin, it takes, Oh, Hey, five. Hey, that's crazy. Oh, no ways. And then I finally get to leave the conversation, but that's something people take for granted that you don't get to have that. Peter finally did. James Gunn is really good at thinking of, this is a big deal for him. Not everybody. You might have to think about it, but it's a big deal. It's, yeah, it's, brought, it's mundane this. for us, but for Peter, it is mundane, but it's also like the fact he gets to do that is nice. Yeah, mm-hmm. I, I brought this up in our in our other review, but um, I I was around Peter's age when when I lost both both of my grandfathers. I was like eight when I lost my grandpa on my dad's side. I was turning 10 the month that I lost my grandpa on my mom's side. So that's why when I saw the like the ending of that the first the first time I saw the movie, I was just I was just a wreck cuz like just like just the thought the thought of getting to see getting to see like either one of them after, you know, after like 30 plus years is is something that, you know, I I I would love I would love to I, I would love to see either one of them again, but obviously that that would never happen. Well, I think kind of building off that, but in a different way, 
you know, because I, I was very close to, unfortunately, my my dad's father passed away a couple of months after I was born, so I didn't really get to know him. But I was very close to my mom's dad. And it's not so much, like you said, Molly, I would love to see him again, but it's more so this nice thing of Peter doesn't have to live in a world to where the last time, you know, he didn't have to come back to Earth to a tombstone. He gets to build a relationship that he missed out on for all these years. You know, that's the great thing is that he, he gets he gets the opportunity that you and I had, you know, mm-hmm. you know, that's yeah. And that's great. And yeah, the weird first I wanted to bring up. Yeah, I'm going to say, what is it? Uh, that they hyped, that they brought it up before the movie came out. So when it, I almost had a weird pretext of when I was expecting it to happen was the F-bomb. Oh, yeah. That's yeah. right. That was a huge deal that this was yeah. the first sense movie with F-bomb. But you know what? Fit the moment. It did. It fit the moment. It did. But I was weirdly expecting it to be from a group of like f- a, a selection of five different people at the High Evolutionary. That's what I was expecting since I knew. That's why it gave me the weird pretense because I I heard that it was coming. Mm. It's one of those things to where the internet builds up things that, like we all said. That it does. It felt almost natural that in that same scenario, any one of us would have dropped the F-bomb in that Mm -hmm. same way. You know, The best part about that is speaking of when Peter left Earth. That was still a problem for people back then of unlocking and trying to open the door at the same time. <laughs> so we would have known that frustration. <laughs> not, not, not wrong, honestly. <laughs> Fucking guard. So I kind of. And I just love Chris Pratt's delivery of it too. <laughs> open the fucking door. <laughs> That's great. Oh, uh, let's just be honest. Chris Pratt. I don't care what you say about the character of Peter Quill. Chris Pratt was perfectly cast in that role. Oh, for sure. Because he played, like I said, that moment, that F-bomb feels so natural. Like like the frustrated dad who just wants to get, he just wants to get on the road, but things are not going his way. I'm going to be honest, I'm pretty certain he went through the role decks of my mind as a child, probably the First person I heard drop the f bomb as an infant was my father. Yes, and probably oh. very similar scenario. Trying to go on a family trip with my two sisters who were only a couple years older than me, probably was like get in the fucking car. <laughs> <laughs> Pretty much. Now, do you guys think that's gonna be a thing that happens a lot now that we've got one, or that no. was kind of James fought no. for it and then we're done? That's, that's how I feel. <laughs> I think it's yeah. I think if I think then the next time we got one is if Deb, I don't know. I, I'm just saying Wolverine is definitely going to say it because it's, it's although that's not going to be PG. It's rated R. So never mind. Cause I was going to say Wolverine always gets to, to drop the one in a PG 13. <laughs> I honestly don't know. I hope Won't they the don't. One. I hope, yeah. I hope that it's kind of like how people like to joke about, Oh, Revenge of the Sith is a PG-13 movie, so they could have drafted a curse. Where would you have put the curse? And it's like, anytime you see one of those, it's funny, but it's like, it yeah, they didn't put it in because it's not neat. Here, like we all said, in this scenario, in the hind, it just rolls naturally that Peter Quill, I know it had to have been Peter Quill, because honestly, I don't think like words like that got to Nebula or Drax or... You know, Definitely Mantis, or, or I mean, yeah. 
for all we know, maybe Groot's been dropping them this whole time. That was the Ooh. other thing that my roommate said. He's like, how great would it have been if the only other word besides I am Groot was fuck? No, <laughs> but can we talk hilarious. about that was a really <laughs> wonderful moment. Oh, yeah, where that was. Groot, and I says, almost, I, I, love, I love you guys. I, I almost yeah. feel like in the context of the universe, he still says I am Groot, but it's yep. one of those things where yes. James Gunn brings you in. And it's like, you heard it in the time. same way that by Return of the Jedi, Princess Leia knows what R2 is saying. You've now spent so much time with this character. You can understand and know what he's saying. I think, I think that was exactly the yeah. intent. And I really like that, you know? Yeah. Um, a couple rapid fire things I want to bring up. A, um, John Murphy's score uh, is was really good. Yeah, the scores unfortunately get overlooked in the Guardians movies because the soundtracks are, because, are yes. built into the narrative, which are great. But the <laughs> scores since the first movie are fantastic in this mm-hmm. in this series. My my one my For one sure. thing about about the soundtrack this time, and maybe maybe it's because the difference between volume three and the first two is that Peter doesn't, Peter doesn't really have a personal connection with the zoom that he did with his, his Walkman. Yeah. So to some yeah. extent the like the music and that 70s music, that is awesome. Cause any music is awesome. Yes. yes. But <laughs> yeah. I, 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 I think just the way, like the way the, like the needle drops were placed in this movie felt, felt, they felt different. Yeah. And Mike, I asked you this in our review. They only typically had four to five needle drops in the past movies. This one I felt had like 20. Because like, 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 like every time they started the ship, a song played for two seconds. So it felt like it kind of dulled some of the ones that played longer. Like No Sleep Till Brooklyn is one of my favorite continuous shots in a movie ever. Yeah, it's oh, that was fantastic. So well done. So I was like, why do I were you just kind of needed to have every time you started up the ship a different song played for two seconds i well, thought it was kind of weird i think from what like i think i'm probably gonna butcher because i get them mixed up um especially after watching the first one the first one had a, a lot of uses of like di- was it diegetic or non-diegetic i can't recall i, I think but, it's, oh I think shoot it's non-diegetic sound is when you interject a sound that's up. not naturally there i think this one yes. is Yes. I get them mixed yeah. up, but I but we'll go with diegetic because in this case, because they're actually playing in the actual, he's actually turning yeah. it on. Yeah, so yeah. the first one, it felt like we were actually going looking at his personal playlist. So you're right, yeah. it did have a personal touch to it. The first one, I think, overall worked the best. Each song worked the best overall. Two had some really nice moments, especially the beginning, which again, diegetic sound because they're actually playing it. And yeah. It worked and it fit. And those are the moments I think where the songs are the best when there's actually a reason for them to actually exist because they're actually playing or listening and or, not just or them, like in volume two the scene between ego and peter when he's listening to brandy yes. again brandy and yes. ego talks about how we're the sailor in the song you know like he yes. that he makes a personal connection to the song those are the moments that really that really uh, uh make the 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 um when it becomes a part of the story, when it becomes a part of the narrative, that's when the, the soundtrack really, really works for me. And there wasn't many as much in volume three. They felt more like filler 
I will say the last one, which I didn't think I would like, The Dog Days Are Over, because it's more of a, it's easily the, one of those modern songs, if not the most modern song that has yeah. been played in all the, the 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 Guardian movies. But it works so well because it is such a cathartic moment after these three films that they've been through, where they're literally dancing and celebrating, and I already love Florence and the Machine, so yeah. this was such a well-deserved moment, and I think is one of the best uses of a song, only because of what it means um from getting to the first shot of guardians of come and get your love which again great callback yep. up yep. until you know where they are now and it is kind of the celebration of their free uh as free as you can be and, and course, going you know, back to guardian. the needle drops really connected to the story that feels very much to what um ain't no mountain was in the first movie yes. to where it is this like we're a family now we're a weird thing we don't know what we're going to be, but we're going to get to this. Yeah. And, and I do love that, you know, and, and that is, I, I will agree. I think volume wanting to incorporate the songs into the story a, a little bit more naturally. Having said that, right. they're so great. I'm still going to pick up this soundtrack. Oh yeah. There are some great ones, but sure. you are right. When I think of like, come and get your love. I think of Peter putting his heads on and turning his walk around on. When I think of Brandy, I think of, you know, Ivor Ego and Peter's mom's name is Escape Me, but I think of them driving the car at the beginning and then Peter and Ego talking about mm. how they're the sailors and the song, you know, in this one, I think that I only saw it the first time. I don't really have a connection to one of the songs to like a, a story point or a moment like i do the other ones although come and get your love i thought that was great and i love the whole setup to where they're like talking about their favorite song and rocket's like oh this has always been you know one of quill's favorites and just puts it on and it's like mm -hmm. okay fine i i see what you did there uh james gunn you're you're just you're really just trying to kill us that this is the end of the series for now okay thank you <laughs> uh so it it looks like we're coming towards the end of this discussion. Um, any final thoughts that you guys have? Manning, I'll start with you. Uh, my final thought would just be is that the Guardians of the Galaxy films, I have, it's no secret, I'm not the, at least in the current state, the Marvel Cinematic Universe really isn't for me in the direction that they're going. Um, not because they're doing anything bad or wrong. It's just, I'm kind of like, okay, it's just too much. But if you're looking at these three, these three core Guardians films, they tell a complete story and Gunn literally, in his iteration anyway, is telling a story of this found family. They're a team, but they're a family first. And after watching them this past week and just seeing, you know, how he incorporates himself also into it, it feels very personal too. And not every Marvel film can say they feel as personal as these do. And... I'm just appreciative that we have them because while I may not watch every Marvel film going forward, these Guardians films are ones that I will always have been excited about. Like Guardians of Galaxy Volume 3 is one that I was super pumped by to see. I was excited because of how much I love the other two. And this one is no exception. I'm not going to rank them because I don't know how to do that because they're all the same, but they're all different at the same time. And I'm not going to try to do that because I love them all. I like as children in a way. And obviously they're not because I didn't make them, but gun. I have such respect for, for completing his vision. It's like a goodbye. He gave his love letter to this beautiful ragtag group of people. 
and I'm excited to see what if we never if we never see them again, I will be fine. Well, I won't be fine, but I will I will accept it. <laughs> I don't know if we're going to be getting them. I would like maybe a break from the Guardians just for a bit. Let them rest. They've had their time in the sun. Maybe bring them back for the crossover, but no Guardians for for maybe like 10 years. We had a long break already between this one and the two. Let's have some Six time years. to let them rest. I know, right? It was, and I, I was telling like a whole three, three, a three, a Spider-Man trilogy in between this, guys, between these two movies, crazy. Um, but yeah, I'm just happy that this trilogy exists, and it's probably one of my favorite things that Marvel has done. It's not a perfect trilogy, but it's perfect in the way that it showcases the characters first. It's less focused about the Marvel universe as a whole. And more about just the story of these characters. And I give Gunn all the props just for... I will take a swing and a miss sometimes if not being perfect. And he swung. And while there may be misses here and there, it's overall a home run in my mind. Well said. Brock, what about you? Oh, it's no secret that obviously I said it was my favorite trilogy before this was the Spider-Man films. Because I enjoy a movie if it's got a really good villain. And guess what? They knocked it out of the freaking park every single time in every one of those movies. <laughs> but... uh and yeah, it's, I've had, like I said, bordering on tailored for me moments and plot points in every single one of them. So they're all really good. And James knows how to make you feel like you're a part of a family in a movie, which makes me really excited that he's going to work on things that are based around having large families in almost every single big aspect of that universe. Yeah. <laughs> uh, oh boy. <coughs> but uh, that's just me dreaming big and hoping stuff goes well. But yeah, between these... I like them all. They're all good. Perfect. No. Like I said, you had a slight venomization of freaking um, Adam Warlock. Adam Warlock in this one. <laughs> kind of felt weird. but Good descriptor, yeah. Brock. Yeah, thanks. <laughs> That's the only way I could really come up with it. It's kind of what happened. But yeah, it's good. This one, two is my favorite. Because again, I've never left a theater crying, needing to tell someone that I love them after a movie before. I've never had that effect. I mean, I'm probably never going to have it happen again. But, and then, so two is my favorite. One and three are weird because there's a lot of good payoffs in three, but one also has like, one has just a lot of great moments in it. And yeah, just, but yeah, they're, they're all really good. And it just makes me excited for stuff to come in the future. James is a great storyteller. He is a great writer and he is an unbelievably creative person that I'm happy to see whatever he works on. So, yeah. Matt, what about you? So I I said and I discussed it. Uh, not I don't think everyone here, uh, but after Avengers Endgame, I said I think I think my time of which I always called uh, from Iron Man to Avengers Endgame, collect them all, to where I had to watch everything. I I needed to see everything, even if it wasn't in viewers. I had to watch it before the next thing was kind of done. And he said, there are two series that I'm most definitely going to keep up with. And that was Ant-Man and Guardians. And, you know, Guardians 3 knocked out of the park for me. I, I thought it was wonderful. And I, I really love the, the dynamic of these characters. And I, I love that you, you think it's going to go one way. I have to be honest with you. I thought, like many others... Well, there's no way this movie ends with all the Guardians still alive. And yet it did. And it didn't feel cheapened. It actually would have felt cheapened if they killed Drax or if they killed Rocket. Uh, which, yeah, I'll be the first to say I thought he was dead. 
I fought that moment when he sees his friends again. I fought that was it. And then they pulled the old, you know, uh, I always think of the Frighteners when it's like, oh, you're here, but it's not your time. I'm going to push you you back to the real world, which is fine. Um, I I thought, you know, again, like I said, I I need to watch this movie again, Uh, but I had a really great time. And and I think the Guardians series uh, is to a very high quality. Yeah, are they all maybe, you know, 12 out of 10 movies? Maybe not. Do they have some faults in them? Sure, but I kind of think that's the point. I, I think they're movies in a, a cinematic universe that is full of the best of the best people, you know, whether it, you know, it is a Steve Rogers or it is a Captain Marvel, you know, or, you know, Thor or something, to have a series that is based around the outcasts is based around the normal people who become heroes uh it's great and it's wonderful and i'm I'm really excited to revisit it whenever that is whether it's in theaters again or if it's when it comes out on blu-ray you know i i believe me this is going in my collection along with the other two and i'm sure i'll look forward to at some point doing you know a day where i i binge watch all three of them together you know so good time good time i i think one thing <clears throat> that I love about this trilogy is that even even like within the larger tapestry of the MCU, you can still enjoy these three movies. And yeah, I'll even include the holiday special too, as like its own kind of self-contained <sighs> narrative from start to finish. Yeah. Um, James Gunn is he he's he is a great writer and a great director and while none of these movies are perfect, kind of like what we all firmly established, the imperfections are to the benefit of these characters and their story. And that's what makes this trilogy special. That's what that that's what puts them in like that upper echelon of movies like the Lord of the Rings trilogy or or The Dark Knight or or the How to Train Your Dragon trilogy it's it just has that very unique touch that only james gunn could have brought to these characters and i i look forward to what he brings to the dc universe because before before marvel i i was always a dc kid like so to to see what he accomplished with the guardians films i am ecstatic to see what he brings to superman legacy and all of that but that is a story for another day um for now before we head out of here manning where can everyone find you online ah well you can find me on twitter at cine underscore man that's c-i-n-e underscore m-a-n-n it's right that it's right there (laughs) (laughs) it's like it's it's right here on my mirrored effect um we, we can't stand it um but you can also find me on wfmy news Two, greensboro so the local cbs affiliate in greensboro north carolina where i do movie reviews once a week on thursday so we are live on facebook and live on it, uh, youtube and they're also posted later for y'all's consumption where you will find out if guardians of the galaxy volume three is to approved it's our little fun little way to say thumbs up and it is in fact thumbs up so as what you can kind of guess because cisco and ebert trademarked your phone they going did. Up or down, thumbs up or down <laughs> We're, we're too the, the, we are we are too clever we're wfmy news too of course we have to incorporate two approved in there somewhere so 
And Matt, where can everyone find you? I don't know. After the spur of the moment thing I said about 70s music, I should put out my things. But you can find me at Kearns underscore Mafia on Twitter. Uh, Matt Movies 611 on YouTube. And also on Take Three Productions, where I am the host of the fan podcast. Um, the host of Second Look, a video essay series where I talk about movies that I think are either underrated, under-talked about, or over-hated, uh, and episodes in the works on 2008 Speed Racer. Uh, that should be coming out, I want to say, before the end of the month, but I honestly can't give any guarantees. I am also the co-host of the podcast Simple Tricks and Nonsense with my buddy Abe Flores. It is something. Uh, we get on StreamYard, and we hit go live. And we just see what happens over the course of normally three hours. But it's a lot of fun. Don't watch it with your kids. Uh, but if you just like two like old friends, just talking we talk about uh, pop culture stuff a lot. We we casted our, our own Superman movie and crafted a story. So if you want to see that, it's on one of that. Um and we Abe talks about the Mamma Mia movie sometimes, you know. So the we're gonna talk about making the third one so we're probably going to talk about that at some point um but yeah that's that's all the places you can find me and brock where can everyone find you hold on i'm just reading this private chat where um matt just said that limp biscuits cover of behind blue eyes is the greatest rock song ever made oh boy (laughs) what is a limp biscuit exactly type of pastry it's or or in the jojo's bizarre adventure when they had to rename it flaccid pancake um It's it's not as worse as Dirty Deeds Done Dirt Cheap was Filthy Axe Done at a Reasonable Price. That one was the best one. But anyway, you can find me everywhere at Organoid Zero, mainly on Twitch and YouTube. And yeah, doing fresh takes with Mike. We're finishing up uh, Violet Evergarden. It's going to be Cromartie High when that finishes up. So yeah, looking forward to that. And then just more reviews and all that other stuff. If you like gaming, find me on Twitch. And you guys can find me on Twitter at CaptainK42. You can check out my quick thoughts on letterbox.com slash CoachK42. And you can follow Renegade Pop Culture on Facebook and Twitter at Ren Pop Culture. You can also find us on YouTube, on Podchaser. Subscribe to our Patreon at patreon.com slash Renegade Pop Culture. Listen to all of our podcasts on Anchor, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, etc. And last but not least, everything can be found at renegadepopculture.com. You can escape, so do we. That'll do it for this episode of Renegade Capes. We will catch you guys later. Peace out.